Thank you, Romy. Okay, you can take a seat. Okay, you can all take your seats. Well, welcome to church tonight. I've really been enjoying this theme, the red letters. Really cool. It's been explained a few times, but I'd like to emphasize it again. The red letter theme is because in some Bibles, when they print the words of Jesus, it's because they print his words in red. And I love that because it gives so much emphasis to Jesus and what he was saying. And so we're actually spending a whole month focusing on exactly what he was saying. And when I read the gospel, something that really stands out to me again and again and again is how often people come to Jesus with really odd questions. Has anyone else noticed that in the gospels? Even to the point where I'm like, I think that's the wrong question. (laughs) Don't think you should be asking Jesus that. And so tonight, that's what we're going to look at, a few of the wrong questions, because I have come to realize through my journey is that so often I go to God with the wrong questions. And I wonder if that's some of you tonight. So that's what we're going to explore, and that's the title of my message, Wrong Questions. (laughs) So a lot of you know that I have actually known Sam and Carolina for a long time. I was reflecting on it, and I think I have known them for over 15 years. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. I actually, the way that I met Caroline is a a whole other story for another day. A few of you know it. Um, But I was actually in Caroline's life group. I was probably about 11 or 12. And she would try and get us to think beyond ourselves. You know, we were all those self-centered teenagers, (laughs) absorbed with our own worlds. And she was trying to get us to think bigger and dream and be, you know, focused on our future. And so she got us to go away and say, um, write a list of goals. And I remember thinking to myself, why? I know what I'm here to do. I know exactly what I'm here to do. I was brought up really with like parents that encouraged me. I was going to be this powerful woman. I wasn't interested in boys or anything. I didn't need no man. I was going to change the world by myself. And so she asked us to go away and write these goals. And so I wrote down my goals. I had to make up the last few because I couldn't think of that many. I had one prime reason to be here. And I came back to Life Group and everyone else started reading their goals. And everyone has these good Christian girl goals. I want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. (laughs) I want to be an awesome mother. I want to marry a godly man and set up a beautiful home. And I sat there and sort of was like, oh dear. (laughs) That wasn't exactly what I had in mind. And so I sit there and I go, okay, number one, be a millionaire. And everyone just sort of looked at me and were like, what? And I think number four or something was be godly, you know. I have my priorities right. And um, so Carolina lovingly guided me in the right direction. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, all my friends are starting to be interested in boys and dating. And so she says, okay, Let's write like our list for our future husband. Again, trying to not get us to think about the cutest boy, actually think about a godly boy. And um, so we all come with our lists. And again, I'm thinking, oh, I don't need to do this. 
I'm not getting married, I don't need a guy, I'm going to be overseas. Sorry about that. And I, so I come with my list and everyone else says, I want a man. You know, what's, what's the saying? I don't need David, I need one of his mighty men. Yeah. Have you heard all the Christian pickup lines? And so they're all coming with their list and I sit there and I'm like, number one, be rich. <laughs> I can just imagine Carolina. Oh, she's thinking, what is this child that I've, got, I've been given to try and mentor? And thankfully, I'm no longer in that space in my life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But just like that, Jesus encountered a rich young ruler. You've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us the story of Jesus with the rich young ruler. And um, I did make a side note in my head. I thought, who is this guy that was able to be known only as the rich young ruler? Hashtag goals, yes? <laughs> no longer, no longer. So let's read in Mark 10, 17 to 27. As he was leaving on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, you who are essentially good and morally perfect, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That is salvation in the Messiah's kingdom. Jesus asked, said to him, why do you call me good? No one is essentially good by nature except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not testify falsely, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he replied to him, teacher, I have carefully kept all these commandments since my youth. Looking at him, Jesus felt love, high regard and compassion for him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all your property and give the money to the poor and you will have abundant treasure in heaven. And come, follow me, becoming my disciple, believing and trusting in me, walking the same path of life that I walk. But the man was saddened at Jesus' words and he left grieving because he owned much property and had many possessions, which he treasured more than his relationship with God. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who are wealthy and cling to possessions and status as security to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed and bewildered at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is for those who place their hope and confidence in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man who places his faith in wealth and status to enter the kingdom of God. They were completely and utterly astonished and said to Jesus, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people as far as it depends on them, it is impossible. But for, not for God, for all things are possible with God. And I relate to this passage, A, for the obvious reason of the rich young ruler, but B, because so often we come to God and say, what are the steps? What are the steps, Lord? Show me. Show me how I can get this done. And I've studied this scripture quite a bit and um, all the scholars discuss why Jesus responded the way he did. The interesting thing is that often when people came to Jesus with law, he responded with grace. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the law. And so he wasn't just there to palm out rules. He was there to palm out rules with grace. 
two-handed. And so you see the rich young ruler coming to Jesus and saying, well, what's the step-by-step? And Jesus hands him a task sheet. It doesn't quite add up. And all the scholars, most of the scholars agree that Jesus was meeting the rich young ruler where he was at. Okay, I'll give you the task list. Oh, you've done it all? Well, I really want your heart. When the rich young ruler asked for, a, asked for a list of tasks, Jesus asked for his heart. And we see that again in verse 28 when Peter tries to apply that same list. Peter started saying to Jesus, look, we have given up everything. We have followed you, becoming your disciples and accepting you as teacher and Lord. And Jesus said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, there is no one who has given up a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake who will not receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so we see Peter trying to shimmy up. Hey, hey, Jesus, you handed him a tar sheet. Well, well I've done that. Yeah. I've done it. Yeah. Give me a tick. Give me a tick on the task list. And Jesus is so clear. No, Peter, Just because I'm asking him to surrender one part of his life doesn't mean I'm not asking you to surrender all of yours. Peter asked for a tick and Jesus asked for his whole life. Whole life. The rich young ruler asked the wrong question. He asked for a list, a checkbox. Peter asked asked the wrong question. He asked for a tick. The wrong questions. So often we ask for a list, a formula, a step-by-step approach. So often we ask the wrong questions. Society again and again enforces within us the wrong questions. I spent the whole of high school answering the question, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? And I thought, well, I'm going to change the world. What are you going to do with yours? very confident child and so but the answer that we're really asking when we ask what are you going to do after school is we're asking for a label right you're going to be a doctor you're going to be a lawyer you're going to be a teacher what are you going to do we also society also enforces the wrong questions by teaching us to ask what is the least offensive way I can say this How often do we think like that? We're talking about your faith to a colleague at work and all of a sudden you're channeling through, trying to think a few questions ahead. How can I be not that offensive? The other one that gets me, I don't know about you, all the time is um, what do I need? Have you ever found yourself, what a stupid question, what do I need? I don't need anything. (laughs) Food, house, husband, I'm fine. I'm fine, but what do I need? Ever find yourself scrolling through? What new thing do I need? The wrong questions. And so we find ourselves categorizing our futures. 
labelling ourselves, looking outward for clarification. We seek rules, lists, clear boundaries, check boxes. We ask all the wrong questions, not because we're wrong, but because we're trying to simplify and understand and process our huge God into something that we can understand. Just leads us to the wrong questions. Now, I mentioned I was in Carolina's life group, but I've also been running life groups for a long time. And I normally um, run life groups with sort of like a teenager demographic or a young adult demographic, and eventually the question comes. So, Romy, is it bad? And I'm immediately going, oh, this is the wrong question. This is the wrong question. Is it bad if I go to schoolies? Is it bad if I go clubbing? Is it bad if I'm engaged, but I just, you know, have a little sneaky sleep with him on the side, is it bad? Wrong question. Wrong question. Because as Christians, we need to get to a place where we're stopping molding and squishing and sculpting the Word of God to a place where we are comfortable with it and to a place where we can understand it. Wrong questions. And I want to clarify because I know that Judgment can feel like a real thing. But understand that you are not wrong. You are not disqualified. You're not bad. You just might be asking the wrong questions. Most of you are aware that in um, 2017, I say that like that's ages ago, four months ago, um, we had a um, plebiscite. And we were asked as a country to vote yes or no on one question, a sentence. And the conversation that erupted, I shouldn't even call it conversation, the arguments that erupted from this plebiscite was huge. And a lot of the commentary said, well, why can't Australians just have a conversation? What's wrong with us? Why are we fighting and arguing and slandering each other over a question? And I thought to myself, well, if you are simplifying something down that has so many facets and factors to one sentence, and then you're asking the country to say yes or no, how on earth do you think that that is a setup for a conversation? You are setting up an argument, setting it up. And I realized how often we take plebiscites to God. How often we come to God and say, God, yes or no. No conversation, just yes or no. God, can I be wealthy as a Christian? Yes or no. God, can I drink alcohol as a Christian? Yes or no. God, are same-sex couples welcome in church? Yes or no. And we come to God and we present a plebiscite. And we expect what? It's the wrong question. Wrong question. 
The Pharisees did this again and again. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time and they were known for coming to Jesus with plebiscite-like questions. They would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, is it okay to pay um, the tithe and the tax? Yes, no. And they try and trick him. Jesus, is it okay to heal on the holy day? Yes, no. The Pharisees would ask again and again for a ruling, a final determination, a sentence. And they were asking the wrong questions. Luke 7, 36 to 48. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house in the region of Galilee and declined at the table. So remember, he's now in a holy man, what was considered a religious leader of the time. He's in his house. Now there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner and when she found out that, she, that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing before him at his feet weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears and wiping them with the hair of her head and respectfully kissed his feet as an act signifying both affection and submission and anointed them with the perfume. Now when Simon the Pharisee, who had invited, had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, make note of that, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, and she is a, that she is a notorious sinner, an outcast, devoted to sin. Jesus answering said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. He answers the questions we don't even ask, right? Yeah. Simon said to himself and Jesus said, I, well, I have something to say to you. <laughs> and he replied, teacher, say it. A certain money lender had two debtors, one who owed him 500 denarii and another 50. And when they had no means of repaying the debts, he freely forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I take it for whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you have decided correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you failed to extend to me the usual courtesy shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love. She, you gave me no welcoming kiss. But from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil, but she has anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But who, he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. When Simon pushed for a sentence, a judgment, Jesus delivered freedom and grace. Simon pushed for a sentence, but Jesus gave grace. During my long time running life groups, um, it's been a while, and uh, a long time in church, I've seen many people leave. Not, maybe not leave the whole church, but leave life groups, maybe move to different serving teams. And whether it's church or serving or life groups or whatever, phrase that gets me to my core is, I just didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> and it's like, you know, steam comes out of my ears, fire-breathing dragon erupts, and I am just 
you know, I have to really contain myself. <laughs> Poor Ben's seen that side of me. And um, I have to really contain myself because I just want to say, what? Yeah. Every week I have come prepared. Every week I have prayed for you. Every week I have thought, what does Jesus want to share with her or with him? There are people waiting. And I have learnt that that response, my response, is asking the wrong questions. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now while they were on their way, Jesus entered a village called Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. And she approached him and said, Lord, is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Tell her to help me and do her part. But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, You are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. You see the questions like, I'm putting in all this effort. Why don't they see? Why don't they notice? They're the wrong questions. Because whilst we're waiting for the recognition, Jesus is calling us back to turn our focus on to him. To journey with his Holy Spirit rather than with expectations and tasks. Jesus brought fulfillment to the law. He is a gift. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He has brought grace and forgiveness. And whilst these questions focus on the result from task, Jesus asks us to focus on fruit from the Holy Spirit. Stop focusing on the result from task and start focusing on the fruit from a relationship with the Holy Spirit. When I was a teenager, I had a friend come over during the summer and we um, had a great time. We were in the pool hanging out as teenagers do and we um, snapped our time and I posted some things to Facebook. I'd just got on Facebook. And I remember that week my dad asked me out to dinner. And now I grew up with parents that absolutely doted on my brother and I. So this was not an unusual occurrence. I often went out on dates with my dad. So I thought, okay, cool, awesome. And when we were at dinner, my dad actually spoke to me about how I didn't need to post bikini photos on Facebook. He spoke to me about how I'm worth more than my body. He spoke to me about how I don't need to feel pressure for my friends, from my friends to post anything. And that in our family, we don't do that. Bearing in mind I was un- like underage, I was probably like 12 or 13. And he said to me something along the lines of, you might not understand it, and we can keep having this conversation for as long as it takes for you to understand it. But right now, because you're part of my family, you're gonna take those photos down, but we can keep talking about this. 
And I remember thinking to myself, well, I was a bit embarrassed actually, of course, you know, that moment of realization that your dad sees your Facebook. Um, but at the same time, it's such an awesome representation of a God who does put in place boundaries for us. And there are the commandments and there are the standard of living, but he's actually more about a conversation and a journey than he is about a list of tasks or check boxes. The Israelites pursued the law. God gave them the law at, a hu at human beings urging, but he gifted us Jesus. He gifted us Jesus. Tonight, are you asking the wrong questions? Are you seeking a response from God so that it can simplify and help you process? Are you coming from a space that's judgmental? Are you in a results-focused mentality? Or are you asking questions from an understanding of God's extravagant love and the nature of the kingdom of God? As I mentioned at the start, we filter so much of our perception of Jesus through the questions and the mentality that the world gives us that we've been brought up in. And I wanna encourage you this evening that the right questions and the right answers are found in the Word of God. We need to be a church that stops asking the wrong questions, stops seeking to define boundaries just so we can tiptoe along the edge, stops being so results focused that we miss relationship, stops trying to just get ticks on the board that we actually just miss the act of surrender that he so desperately seeks from us. A church that says, not how do I, but you are. You are God. Not how, how do I get through this issue, but I have all strength because of you. You are victorious. Find the right answers in the Bible. You might not have had a family that brought you up discussing Jesus over the dinner table but you do have a church family that would love to discuss Jesus with you in life groups. You might be dealing with doubt and sickness and failure or issues and problems and your own mountains tonight, but you do have a God that you can pray to. And He is Yahweh Nisi. He is Yahweh Shalom. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is. You might be unsure of who you are, but you can read in your Bible about a God who knew you before you were born, who knows exactly the extravagant, loving plans that he has just for you. Wrong questions come because of wrong mindsets. It's not that we're wrong or bad or disqualified. It's just that we might be asking the wrong questions tonight. Let's be a church that doesn't try to understand how good God is, try to simplify it into steps or tasks or process. The Great Commission is just that. It's great. It's huge. Go into all the world, preach the good news, baptize the nations. It's huge. It's huge. When the rich young ruler asked for a checklist, 
Jesus asked for his, his heart. When Peter asked for a tick on the board, Jesus asked for a life surrendered. When the Pharisees asked for a binding determination, a sentence and a judgment, Jesus asked for faith. When Simon pushed for a sentence, Jesus provided grace and forgiveness. When the Israelites asked for the law, God gave us Jesus, his son. And when Martha asked for recognition and results, Jesus asked for relationship. Let me just say that one more time because I don't really feel like you're getting it. (laughs) Hear me tonight, church. When the rich young ruler asked for a checklist, Jesus asked for his heart. He's asking for your heart. When Peter asked for a tick on the task list, Jesus asked for his life. When the Pharisees asked for a binding determination, Jesus asked for their faith. When Simon asked for a judgment, Jesus provided grace and forgiveness. When the Israelites asked for the law, God gave them, gave us Jesus, our Savior, the truest gift. And when Martha asked for recognition and results, Jesus asked for relationship. And just like my dad did for me that night, where he repeated to me again and again, No, this is the culture of our family. Jesus did that for us. He spent so much of his time on earth explaining the nature of God, explaining the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 16, he turns to his disciples, those who truly knew him and said, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? Not, do you know, did you hear of me? Did you hear what I did? Did they tell you what I'm all about? No, no, no. Who do you say I am? From a personal place, from a relationship, from a space that says, I've actually taken the time to get to know you. Who do you say that I am? And I wonder if we took a moment tonight how you would be able to answer that. To take a moment of reflection and say, Lord, who do I say that you are? In the midst of my pit, at the top of the mountain peak, who do I say that you are? And before we wrap up tonight, we're going to obviously have the opportunity to say yes to the best question ever. Would you like to follow Jesus? Would you like to follow Jesus? And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say yes to Jesus as an outward expression of an inward decision. And there's nothing magical about putting your hand up and waving. It doesn't make you a Christian. But we do ask that you put your hand up as a confession of what you're saying in your heart. That you would like to leave behind the old and step into the new with Jesus. That you would like to follow him and be his church. So church, as we close our eyes in respect of this moment, if that is you tonight, And I'm talking about a Jesus that seeks relationship, a Jesus that forgives and releases and just bestows so much grace on us. If that is you and you would like to say yes to Jesus, would you give me a wave this evening? Yes, I see that hand.
maybe you're here tonight and you, you need to make a recommitment. And as I was writing this message, I was praying for you because I, I know what it's like to have a bit of a messed up, messed up perception of Jesus. To think that he wants something that he actually doesn't want at all. If you would like to make a recommitment and say, I say yes to the Jesus who is gracious and loving, who brings freedom and separates all of my wrong and all of my sin. If that is you tonight, we're going to take some time and wait for you. Is there anyone tonight who would like to be prayed for? heaven is celebrating for him tonight. Lord, that you'll be a hedge of protection around him as he walks out. Holy Spirit, that you will meet with him tonight. Hear your peace, your peace, Lord.